0: Revelation chapter 10. Go ahead and turn to your Bibles there. Well, tonight I'm going to be preaching from memory. Because it did not show up in the cloud documents. All right, well, that's okay. Here we go. Let's go ahead and pray. (laughs) Lord be good. Let me... uh, let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started here. Sorry for being a little flustered here at the beginning. Was not expecting that to happen. Um, okay. Well, we'll be all right. Okay. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we thank you so much, God, for this time. And, Lord, we just ask you to teach us. Teach us your word. God, give us understanding. Lord, we don't want to just merely understand or hear, but we want to do Lord, help us to live lives of faith, trusting in you, acting in you. So, Lord, as we get into today's word, as the scripture, Father, help us. All, although we know these things are things yet future, Lord, let us learn how to apply them for today, for this very night. God, as we encounter you, we pray that we would be changed, that we would leave this place different than when we, when we came in. We thank you Lord and we ask for your blessing now in Jesus name. Amen. Um the <clears throat> often oftentimes as we've uh, as we think about our culture and we see tragedies happening in, in life and hardships and of course the when we see the worst of man uh, it tempts us to to want to question whether God actually exists or why would God allow why would God allow evil in this world? Why would, he, why would he let it continue on? And we are, we, some have been tempted to just forsake God and say, that's it, I'm done with God. And say, God can't possibly exist because there's evil in this world. And to quote from Elie Wiesel, the Holocaust survivor who was in two different concentration camps, he wrote his book, Night. And in his book, Night, this is what he says. He said, never shall I forget that night the first night in camp, which has turned my life into one long night, seven times cursed and seven times sealed. Never shall I forget that smoke. Never shall I forget the little faces of the children whose bodies I saw turned into wreaths of smoke beneath a silent blue sky. Never shall I forget those flames which consumed my faith forever. Never shall I forget that nocturnal silence which deprived me for all eternity of the desire to live, never shall I forget those moments which murdered my God and my soul and turned my dreams to dust. Never shall I forget these things, even if I am condemned to live as long as God himself. Never. And of course, as we read Ellie Wysel's words, we're, we're definitely brought to a place of hopelessness as we see as he shares what he had to suffer through, and we see just the atrocity of man, the worst man has to offer in those concentration camps. We're, we're, We're faced with Nietzsche's very words himself, God is dead. But I want you to realize, as we've been reading through the book of Revelation, God is judging evil deeds. And it is coming to an end. But we must understand that in order for God to endure with you, in order for God to allow you to continue on so that you can have salvation and partake in that, he also will allow evildoers to endure until that final day. And, and we've been reading this. We've gone through book, the book of Revelation. We've seen judgment after judgment after judgment. And it's been interesting because some have come up to me and asked me, man, why does God just keep judging? Well, there's a lot of evil to deal with. God is redeeming the earth to himself. He will put an end to Satan and his demons. He will, he will uh, establish his kingdom. And we're going to see all these things happen. But he must judge and he will do right. And, of course, he's saving this judgment for what we've talked about as the day of the Lord. Now, if, if you've been kind of paying attention, you've noticed that the judgment comes, the judgments come in waves of six with a pause and then a seven. And so, if you remember, we had six seals broken open and a pause. There was that 30 minute pause in heaven, um, that pause, and then we had the seventh. And of course, we had, we've had six trumpets so far, and now we're getting into a pause again. And then uh, we'll eventually get into six bowls and then a pause and then the seventh. And of course, the seventh trumpet eventually is Jesus, the finalization of everything, um, and God putting an end to sin. But today we find ourselves in this parenthetical pause. And what's happening is we're moving into a time where judgment has been coming, judgment has been coming. And now the writer gives us a pause. John gives us a pause. And he's going to give us more details in this parentheses, just like a normal writer would do. You know, it's it's funny because um, when... Uh, my wife is on the phone or something, you know, she's looking at her phone and doing something, and I can tell she's like checked out from everything going on around. And I'll, I'll say, hey, honey, uh, wh- what are you looking at? She'll say, I'm looking at, and I'll just wait there. <laughs> that sounds great, honey. She's like, well, I'm on the phone. <laughs> I know you are. I want you to involve me in it. It's really funny. And then, of course, she always my wife always blames me for uh, being on the phone too much, which I, I love. But uh, we're going to see <laughs> that there's a parenthesis. We're going to get more details about what's going on. And, and as we go through this pause and the judgments, we will be seeing that um, God is going to, you know, we're going to learn about the beast out of the sea, the beast out of the land, the Antichrist. We're going to see about the two prophets and all these other, the, the other details and things happening during the seven-year tribulation. But tonight, let's get into the text. Revelation chapter 10 and verse 1, then I saw another mighty heaven, another, sorry, another mighty angel coming down from heaven wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders sounded, had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it the sea and what is in it that there would be no more delay but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel the mystery of god would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophets we're going to pause there and we'll finish the rest of this chapter in a minute but let's first talk about this this chapter here we've got a giant angel and a really little scroll or a little book. Now again, let's think in the first century terms the way John thinks. That you don't have books. And so a scroll can be a, a biblos. Uh, it's a, it's it's just a small parchment or scroll uh, as opposed to a big scroll. And remember in Revelation chapter 4 or 5 we had uh, the lamb who is worthy. And to open up the scroll. And we had this seven-sealed scroll. And this was a big scroll. This, whatever was in the scroll, it was so important that John, at the thought of no one being able to open the scrolls, to break the seals and open the scroll, started weeping. And then, of course, Jesus appeared on the scene as the Lamb who was slain, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And uh, he started breaking open the seals. And we've been dealing with those seals being broken open for the last last chapters here. Well, now there's this new angel and a new scroll, a different scroll, a smaller scroll. And uh, notice what it says about the angel. First of all, I saw another mighty angel. Now, the word angel, as we've looked at before, and we especially looked at this word when we were talking about the angels to the churches, the word angel can be messenger. It doesn't necessarily always mean a a heavenly being. It can be a a messenger. It can be also an angelic being, a heavenly being who serves God. We know that Hebrews tells us that angels are ministering spirits. Um, so we, we we know that there's that aspect of an angel. But an angel can also in the Greek mean a messenger. Uh, we know that in the Old Testament, sometimes Jesus appeared in the Old Testament and it said an angel of the Lord. Now, don't confuse that that Jesus is a, a, a higher elevated angel. No, Jesus is God. But in Old Testament appearances or what we call theophanies, we, we would have... Jesus appeared, and, and then and the way the Old Testament writers would put it is an angel of the Lord appeared. But then we would see the response to the angel, and it was often worship. Or the angel would have some power or authority that, that anyone other than God would not have. And so, so the question comes to who is this angel? Well, we see some character uh, attributes to this angel. First of all, um, as it's coming down from heaven, he's wrapped in a cloud. With a rainbow over his face, his head. Now, it's interesting that we saw the throne of God encompassed by a rainbow earlier on. We saw, uh, we see clouds often in reference to Jesus Christ. Jesus coming with the clouds. And it very possibly could be Jesus, this angel. But then again, it might not be. It might just be another angel like Michael the archangel or Gabriel. Or another angel that we read about in scripture. But we do know this that he represents that covenant God, the one who made the covenant of the rainbow with Noah. That's who he represents. This is definitely a good guy. This is one of the angels that we, that we want to know about. And, and notice his face was like the sun, and, a, and his legs like pillars of fire. Remember Jesus in the very beginning of the book, when John worshiped him, it said his face was radiant, and his legs were like burnished bronze. And if we remember back to chapter 1, and so it very well could be Jesus, but there are things that are a little different here. One, we don't see John worshiping. John's not worshiping here. Now, it, it might just not be recalled or maybe it wasn't as important to talk about that at this point in time. I, I don't know. Um, but we also see that this angel swears by him who lives forever and ever. So, so it seems like maybe this isn't Jesus. It could be. But, but it very well might be just another angel. But here's what we notice about this angel. This angel has power. He's got a roar like a lion. And he sets his feet on both the foot and the, and the, the water. He's got one foot on the land and one foot on the water. And, and it's kind of interesting when you think about it. If I was claiming a new territory, step in both, they're both mine, right? <laughs> I'm in both. I have authority over both the land... And the sea. And I, I definitely think this is a posture of authority and claiming. And he calls out, as he calls out, look at what happens, like a roaring lion, when he called out the seven thunder sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. What did the seventh thunder say? You know, anytime someone says Oh, i got to tell you something. Oh, I probably shouldn't. What do we do? We go, what? <laughs> Come on, tell me. You know, or <laughs> if uh, if we're hearing a story and we never get to the end, it bothers us like crazy. I, I This always happens to me on airplane flights. Uh, I'm on an airplane flight and I'm uh, watching a movie and I either fall asleep before the end or the plane lands and everything gets shut off. And I'm like, oh, I, <laughs> what happened? Uh, you know, I never find out who pulled off the heist or... Or, you know, who is the bad guy, who is the good guy. I, I end up getting lost and, and it drives me nuts. And I'll go, okay, I got to watch this movie, got to watch this movie. And somehow I never get around to it. There's like three movies I still don't know what the ending is to the movie. But it bothers us when we, we see something. And John says, I, I I'm, these seven thunders spoke something, but I was told I can't write it down. So he doesn't. So we don't know. So if you have ever have a pastor, uh, a cult leader, whoever it is writing about the subject, here's what we know. We need to be content with what we do not know, okay. The Bible doesn't give it to us. We're never told what it is. It's been sealed up. Remember Daniel, in Je- Daniel chapter 12, and if you'll turn with me, I didn't have time to get all the slides. I had a meeting about a memorial service right before the service, so. When I normally get the signs slides done, I would do that. So you'll have to actually probably turn in your Bible. But Daniel chapter twelve verse four is Daniel is giving his prophecy, and remember, we've said that Daniel's kind of part one to Revelation. And Daniel chapter twelve verse four says, as as Daniel's uh, writing out this prophecy, it says, "But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end." Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Daniel is told twice in this chapter to seal up the book. Don't talk about it anymore until the time of the end. And, of course, uh, I, I very much wonder if that scroll that's being broken open in heaven has to do with the scroll that Daniel sealed up, the, the knowledge that he was given. It's, it's, it's uh, very intriguing, and, and I can't help but speculate that this scroll that Jesus is breaking the seals off Because we know we're in the time of the end here. We're in the seven-year tribulation. Things are becoming fulfilled. Prophecy is coming to a fulfillment and to an end. And so Daniel's scroll might very well be being opened up here in the book of Revelation. But with these seven thunders, we don't know. Turn with me over to Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29. Deuteronomy 29. In verse 29, this verse is a wonderful verse. And and by the way, this is one of those verses that should go down in your memory verses. These are verses to memorize right here, this one. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of His law. I'm just going to stop there for a minute and talk about this. Are you content with the secret things belonging to God? You should be. You should be. You know, the Bible talks about a lot of strange things at times and gives us little peeks into heaven or, or peeks into uh, to God's kingdom. Or even the, talks about things that we just have big question marks about. Like, for instance, Genesis chapter 6 talks about this race of people called the Nephilim. And, and the way Genesis 6 goes, it's, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were men of old, men of renown, uh, heroes of old. This Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And then it talks about how God has grieved and starts destroying the earth. Now, there's a big question mark for us. It, it, are the Nephilim of Genesis 6, are these some sort of half-breed demon slash human People, or are they something else? What did God mean by the sons of God going to the daughters of men and having children with them? We just don't know. We can speculate, but the Bible doesn't tell us. So what do we do? We be content with what God has has told us. And we go, okay, I don't want to go any further. The Trinity, for instance. How many of us believe in the doctrine of the Trinity that God is triunity, trinity, trinity, Uh, He's three persons and one being. How many of us fully really understand it and are satisfied with our understanding? I certainly am not. I I mean, I know the Bible teaches it. I can teach on the subject of the Trinity. We can talk about how God is a being, one being who supports three persons. But really when it comes down to it, when you see Jesus incarnate, in the person of Christ, uh, when we see the second person of the Trinity in, in, in Jesus and in Christ, we can't help but think of a separation of persons and being. But the Bible tells us that that's not the case. That this one being, this one God expresses himself in three persons and each one is a unique person of the Trinity but only one being. There's only one God. We know that. But it's confusing We don't totally know how it all works together. And by the way, I want to say that the doctrine of the Trinity is probably one of the, to me, a strong imprint that this book has divine origins. Because simply man cannot come up with that stuff. It's beyond our thinking. It, It is. It's absolutely beyond our thinking. In fact, when men do try to understand it and they write too much or talk too much about it, they end up going off into heresy. Or they end up starting a cult as they try to explain it away. That's what we've seen over history. And it's interesting because when you read the the different church councils and the different early church writers as they were trying to understand this doctrine. Not create it. Understand it. As they write on these things, it's a lot of, we believe Jesus is this. We believe God is this. We believe the Holy Spirit is this. We know God is not separate persons but one. We know Jesus is of the same nature as God. How this works, we do not know. They're content with what they do not know. We as Christians should not go beyond the secret things. We shouldn't start writing books or buying into books about demonology. Oh, this spirit is the spirit of this or that spirit's the spirit of this. Be aware of people who try to catch you with the hidden things of God. Don't buy into that stuff. Be be cautious of people who say, "Well, have you heard this?" You know, we love uh, we love a, a good uh, a good conspiracy theory. <laughs> it's intriguing to us. You know, what's the government doing next? <laughs> you know, and we we. we 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 get so intrigued by those things. Or someone who can unfold some mystery that we do not know. Be careful because this is what cults and false teachers prey on. Don't go with it. If the Bible doesn't speak it, they don't know it. Okay. And if someone says, well, I've got this by special revelation from the Lord, run away. Run away from it. Because this is our special revelation. Okay. So, do going on with Deuteronomy, it says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but listen, but the things that are revealed, what's revealed? This word, God's law, God's precepts, God's righteousness, God's salvation has been revealed to us through Jesus Christ in these last days, as the author of Hebrew says. Um, what's, what, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of the law. These things are revealed to you and to me that we can do them. Not that we just say, well, I want some more secret things. You know, I want to talk about secret things that have no actual application in my life, whatever. What, What about Moses or Michael the archangel arguing, disputing with Satan over the body of Moses? What about that? Let's talk about that in Jude. Well, that has no application for you and me, really, other than the way Jude applies it and says, hey, even when Michael the archangel was doing this, he did not bring a slanderous accusation against Satan, but he said, the Lord rebuke you in Jude chapter 1, in case you're not familiar with the passage. But, uh, and that's how the author, Jude, applies it to us, but we're not to go any far, farther beyond that. That was what was revealed to us. We should not slander Satan or demons. But rather say, the Lord rebuke you. Because we do not know the principalities nor the power that we are bringing slanderous accusations against. So there are things that we apply. These things that God does reveal to us, he does so so that we can honor him. And follow him and worship him. So many Christians talk about being a Christian. But they don't know their word at all. They're not students of the word. They're not even looking to the things that have been revealed to them so that they can obey them. We're going to talk about this more in just a few minutes. So I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next part of this passage. So John is told to seal up what the seven thunders has said. So we're just going to have to be content saying, we have no idea what the seven thunders are. But he goes on to say this. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, it, that there would be no more delay. Well, this might be a place where you you part company with me or the Bible. You know, um, the Bible clearly says that creation is a special revelation of God. This passage alone really rules out. Uh, theistic evolution, theistic evolution, and, and by the way, many of our politicians today—they'll hold to this when they're when they're kind of their feet are put to the fire. This is how they answer: "Are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, what about evolution? Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in evolution. I believe God started evolution." I, Newt Gingrich—he he was one who who was a, a is a big theistic evolutionist. Listen, the Bible says that there, God, creation happened by a special creation that God created. Look at. Heaven and what is in it, Earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, God has created all these things each his type I was talking to my daughter, Elise, who's twelve she's in seventh grade, and they had somebody come and talk um to their class about evolution and creation, and they were going through it and um she i said uh well what what's something you learned?" she said, "Well, Dad, what came first, the chicken or the egg and i I was like Uh, well, I'm going to say the chicken. She said, you're wrong, two chickens. (laughs) Very good, honey. I'm I'm glad you were listening. (laughs) So you guys had the same expression at first that I had. Wait a minute, what are they teaching you there? (laughs) So, (laughs) but no, that's right. It was a special creation. God created all things. He didn't just kind of like kick off evolution into happening. No, he's an active creator. The Bible clearly says it. And we say, well, what about, what about everything I learned in biology? They told me it was a fact. They told me this happened. This happened. And um, here's what I want to say. Evolutionary theory. It is a theory. Science is not finished yet. And the interesting thing about science, by the way, I keep saying interesting a lot tonight, I've noticed. That's what I do when I don't have my notes. The, what's so interesting, fascinating... <laughs> What's so fascinating about science is that that we see that the more they study, the more it's leading back to a creator. The deeper they go into man, the more they go into molecular biology, the farther they go into space. No matter what Neil deGrasse Tyson says, they're saying there's an imprint of a creator, an imprint of design. Nothing can come into existence without a cause. You and I understand this. So in order for the universe itself even to come into existence, there has to be some sort of an uncaused cause. And that cause is God. He exists necessarily. Without Him, nothing can exist. Otherwise, you just get into this endless regression of past universes and passing. Eventually, you have to get to a cause. And the Bible tells us that cause is God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And and we need to understand that. God created all things. And by Him, all things are made. Nothing is made without Him. It starts with God. So we we see here that there's a special creation. Everything was made. Everything was made. The heavens and all that are in it. The earth and all that is in it. The sea and all that was in it. Eventually... Evolutionary theory, I believe, will, will start to wean away. Of course, the atheists are going to hold on to it as long as they can. You know, they've even tried to say, hey, we've created something coming from nothing. We've created a lab, and in that lab we've created a vacuum. And in that vacuum we've created, we've, we've seen quirks popping in and out of existence. But do you notice what they said? We've made a lab. And in the lab we made a vacuum which the vacuum is not nothing, but you have a lab, you have energy, you have all these things made by men, made by an intelligent being to create, to, to try to create something. There's an intelligent being, being behind the whole process. It's still not nothing coming from, something coming from nothing. Can you imagine really if that's the way reality was? I mean, <laughs> you're just walking down the street and all of a sudden a dog pops into existence. Whoa or a grizzly bear, or whatever the case is. Can you imagine? We don't even experience that at all in our world. I mean, in fact, our world is fairly predictable. And that's why we feel safe walking down the street and not being fearful that a giant ball will drop out of nowhere onto me, or, or a safe, or a, an Acme piano, or whatever the case is, right? So, so anyway, this angel swears by him who lives forever and ever, by God. And notice what, but, uh, notice what it says, that there be no more delay. Delay for what? Delay for the end. But that in the days of the trumpet call, to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. What is that mystery of God to be fulfilled? Let's look at Jeremiah 31, 34. Jeremiah 31, 34. If you'll turn there, this is what Jeremiah 31 34 says and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying know the lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the lord for i will forgive their iniquity and i will remember their sin no more this is speaking of the new covenant in jeremiah and of course we know that jesus instituted the new covenant at passover the night before he was or the night of his betrayal Jesus instituted that, that, that new covenant. He said, a new covenant of my blood shed for you. Okay? But certainly we know that we don't have neighbors right now who know God. Don't we? In fact, we still have people saying, oh, no God exists. We still have neighbors who are trying to teach about God and, and coworkers and people we interact with on a daily basis. We're trying to teach them about God, share the gospel with them. A time is coming, the Bible tells us, when no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. This time is coming. Uh, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Now listen, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. What time is that coming? Well, that's what the seventh, what this angel is talking about, that there's no more delay the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Now, a mystery in the Bible is not something that we're looking to, uh, like, solve for. A mystery in the Bible is something that was unknown, that has become, that has been revealed to us, made known. So, here this mystery of God, it was get, talked about to the prophets, how it actually was going to work, we don't know. And now we're reading that there's no more delay. We're moving towards this. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again saying, verse, uh, sorry, Revelation chapter 10, verse 8. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again saying, <clears throat> go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So John here is told by a voice he heard from heaven Saying, "Go take the scroll." So he goes up to the angel who's standing on the sea and the land. I mean, the imagery here is so awesome. (laughs) Uh, the the This apocalyptic literature, the style is just like so cool. And and as our imaginations go wild with it, you know, we're thinking about just going up to this titan, you know, this giant being, this angel, and. You know, we're not, we're not talking to some wimpy angel who's like a precious moments little angel, you know, <laughs> all gentle. We're, we're seeing John go before this massive, terrifying, awesome angel saying, can I have the scroll? <laughs> Give me the scroll. So John takes the scroll and he's told to eat it. It's a strange thing. But you know, it's not that strange. Turn with me over to Ezekiel. Let's go to Ezekiel for a minute. Ezekiel's told something very similar. In fact, most many of the prophets are told something similar to this. Ezekiel, chapter th- 2 first. We'll go to chapter 2. Oh. Passed up chapter 2. You guys are learning your Old Testaments. Ezekiel chapter 2. And let's, let's first look at um, verse 9. Trying to do this, make sure I do this from memory. Yeah. Verse 9 says this. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back. And there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And verse one And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here, eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel so I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat and he said to me son of man feed your belly with the scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey and he said to me son of man go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them for you are not sent to a people of a foreign speech and a hard language but to those of the house of Israel and uh, we we can stop there but here Ezekiel is told, them, told to take this scroll. What is the scroll? It's the Word of God. Take this prophecy, this Word of God, and eat it. And when Ezekiel eats it, what is it? It's sweet as honey in his mouth. But it becomes bitterness. It's full of mourning and woes to his people Israel. That's, that's the message Ezekiel has. Message of judgment that's going to come. And so so we see Ezekiel's told this, um, take, take this and eat it. Turn with me over to Psalm 119, or turn back to Psalm 119. And go to verse 103. I'm, uh, I went to Psalm 103. Psalm 119 and verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Psalm 119 is a psalm of rejoicing of God's word. It's a wonderful psalm. And and the more you read it, the more just rejoicing you're going to have as you have God's word. It's a wonderful psalm. And and it's the, the longest psalm. What he says is, your words, God, are sweet to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Honey is so sweet. I, I you know, I, I've tasted sweet things, but nothing gets sweeter than honey. It is just so sweet. And, and, you know, when you take honey, it's almost like so sweet that it, like, kind of snaps you awake. It's so sweet. And then, you know, um, one of my favorite desserts is baklava because it's got everything good. It's got pastry, nuts, and honey. What could go wrong? Love love baklava, unless you're allergic to nuts and it could go really wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> it would be sweet in your mouth and bitter to your life. So, <laughs> but um, God's word is sweet, sweeter than honey, the Bible tells us. But, you know, there is a bitterness that accompanies it. Oftentimes there will be suffering and sorrow, persecution. The, the words of eternal life so sweet to us, Right? So sweet, what God did, his gospel. But oftentimes when we read God's word, it brings conflict and confrontation to us. It it challenges us. Am I really living in Christ? Am I walking in him? Or am I doing the world plus sprinkle a little bit of Christ on this? Or slap a Jesus bumper sticker on? You know, how am I actually, and when we read the word of God, it's sweet, but it can also be convicting it can bring us to sorrow it can bring us to repentance it brings about a changed life and then of course for many we see that they've lost their lives over this wonderful word of course those souls beneath the throne of god that we read about earlier in revelation they say how long o lord until you judge the earth how long until you punish the wicked that's what they're saying God's word is sweet, but it can bring bitterness. And, of course, here, John's got more to prophesy. And, and, of course, we know that the bitterness doesn't last, but there is turmoil happening, sometimes internally and sometimes external circumstances. I, I read a story of, a, a, of an atheist who, who uh, traveled to Fiji, or an agnostic professor who, who traveled to Fiji, and um, I'm going to try real fast to find, mm-hmm. okay, um, this agnostic professor, there we go, got it, go back, I, luckily I've got this in my memory, <laughs> maybe, no, maybe not. All right, I'll rejoice later. <laughs> so this ag- this agnostic professor traveled to Fiji and He's talking with a, a tribe, and he's actually telling them how sorry he was for for people imposing the the Christians coming, these missionaries, and imposing their their values on them, and how it destroyed them. and um, And the the elder man in the tribe says, um, "Do you see that rock there? Yeah, that's where we would bash people's heads in. Do, do you see?" the fire pit over there that's where we would cook them and eat them it was upon receiving god's word that we no longer do this <laughs> i can i can think of no me- no better thing than than uh that agnostic professor must have been like okay i guess i'm actually kind of glad that he didn't I read this by uh, Pollock. He, this way he says. As I walked the streets of Suva, the capital of the Fiji Islands, I reflected that a short century before, heathen horrors had reigned. I saw the islanders, formerly cruel cannibals, well disposed, happy and prosperous. Life and property were safe. The gospel had brought civility to their island. The gospel brought people to say, hey, it's not right for me to go bash in my neighbor's head and steal from them anymore. That's not a right way to live. It's interesting how as we move into a post-Christian culture and we're we're riding on the the knowledge of Christianity and all the blessings and the mercy that comes with Christianity and we're saying, we don't need God. All we're going to do is go back. It's just going to be a backward step. Christianity brings about civil order. This is what um, Thomas Huxley, a declared agnostic professor, said. He said, I have always been strongly in favor of secular education without theology. But I must confess that I have been no less seriously perplexed to know by what practical measures the religious feeling, which is the essential basis of moral conduct, is to be kept up in the utterly chaotic state of opinion on these matters without the use of the Bible. What Huxley is saying is that I've always been a fan of us getting rid of the Bible and doing education without it. But the problem is, how can we maintain our morality? We're just going to plunge into chaos without God's word. God's word is important. Are you willing to eat it? To make it a part of you. It will be sweet as honey to your lips as you receive it. Trust me, it will be sweet. It's the words of life. It's that living water. It may bring some bitterness in your life. It may bring turmoil in your workplace, turmoil in your home. It may bring turmoil to your culture. Trust me, it's not easy being a Christian. Today, if you say that you're a Christian, you're automatically billed as a a bigot, one who hates Um, (laughs) your... A gun owner, whatever whatever terrible things they can say about you. <clears throat> but uh, you may not be the most popular person, and it may bring bitterness in your life, but in the end, you realize that you are serving the king of kings. You have an eternal glory to, to wait for, and God will do that. And, of course, Paul said that looking at the present circumstances and the current sufferings, they don't even compare to that hope of glory we have in Christ Jesus. There's not even a comparison. When we stand before God, seeing Him in all of His beauty, and all of His glory, we're not even going to remember these sufferings. It's going to be like nothing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Word tonight, especially Your Word, Lord Jesus. Thank You, God, for giving it to us so that we can model You, be like you, know you, understand you. Lord, forgive us when we take it for granted. Forgive us, Lord, when we collapse to the culture and the pressure of the culture versus holding fast to your word. God, your word is true. And every man's a liar. Lord, we honor you. We look to you. Forgive us for any sinful act or way in our life. And Lord, help us to follow you with every breath. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.